Welcome to the Power Play Podcast, where international cricketer Kyron Powell and marketing genius Jordan Shannon join forces, bringing you captivating conversations with the biggest players in cricket and business. Join us as we dive into the lives of current stars in the cricketing world, the legends before them, and those extraordinary icons whose performances changed the game in both cricket and business. Exploring journeys both on and off the pitch, the boardroom, and everything in between. Get ready for an exhilarating blend of cricket, life, and business insights with two insatiably passionate, infuriatingly no-holds-barred hosts who, unfortunately for the rest of us, live and breathe this stuff for a living. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of the Power Play podcast. First, I would like to all say I wish you all the best for 2024 and a happy new year. And how are you, Kai? I'm good, Jordan. How are you? Happy new year. Happy New Year to you, yeah. No, I'm not too bad. I'm on the back end of a cold, but other than that, I'm not too bad. Uh, so if I sound a little croaky, I do apologise. But how's your uh, how's your time in the USA been? Uh, it was a hell of an experience. Um, Houston, you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> if the same could have not been more apt than Houston, you have a problem. It was... Um, the tournament was... From, from my team's perspective, it yeah. was... Um, a really good experience. The owners were really good. Um, the players, you know, really came together well. But from a tournament perspective, you know, I think that the ICC is going to have to look at, um, I guess, who they give sanction into. You know, I mean, the guy yeah. that was running running that league has done some, at best, questionable things. Yeah, um, and lots of things that are needing to be. I guess investigated deeper. You know, lots of players left there, um, underpaid, if paid at all. Um, situations where teams sort of got kicked out of hotels in the middle of the night, and you know, just lots of lots of crazy stuff that happened. Um, but as I said, wow. fortunately enough for me, my team and my team owner were really good. Um, very happy to have fortunately been selected for the team that I did. Um, yeah. If unfortunately lost the finals, um, and you know it's it's a new experience, another learning experience, and we take it and we, we roll with it. Now, that's, I, obviously, I'll be, I was speaking to you during it and things. I couldn't believe like the extent of of what was going on, and you sort of um, you know you think is it being slightly exaggerated, and you sent me some pictures and videos and stuff, and I just couldn't believe what was going on. You mentioned there about some of the team, obviously your team, the Premier Indians, good team, good owners. Is the issue then with the owners, or is it with the person who's actually set, like who's the sanction of the league? <coughs> well, I can't, I can't necessarily speak for um, other teams. I don't know how the owners operated, etc. But um, definitely, the the governing person of the league. Um, there were lots of issues there where. I mean, he created lots of lots of unnecessary problems on a daily basis where it got to the point where, you know, I'd say over 70% of the players didn't want to be there. And it was just like sort of um, going through the motion and stuff. Um, and whether that be just, as I said, things from financials to accommodations to just uncertainty, that's that's sort of the last thing that you want yeah. around the, 
Christmas time of the year, you know, the festive time of yeah. the year. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my favorite point of the year, you know, um, yeah. sort of that Christmas, New Year, that whole holiday season time. So, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that I guess something that had the potential to be big um, got into the hands of, of someone that I guess didn't have the right intentions. Is do you, in that with that in mind, are the ICC sanctioning these tournaments too easy? Then do they need to do a bit more due diligence? Yeah, hundred percent. A lot more due diligence needs to be done. Um, obviously, especially in terms of new new leagues coming in, and I guess the ICC probably needs to have people on the ground overseeing daily operations of of these leagues and making sure that you know certain checkpoints along the way are being ticked off. As, as tournaments go, um, yeah. for example, players being paid 50% at whatever stage of the tournament, players' um, accommodation being paid for and guys not being kicked out of their rooms at one o'clock in the morning, yeah. which is absolute madness, you know, I mean, things like that should should never happen, you know, umpires, yeah. like, the, the guy called the police on the umpires um, the morning of the semifinals and had the umpires kicked out and we had, like, our members... We had a member of our team that umpired in the semi-final and final, you know, so that should never be happening in an ICC-sanctioned no. event. You know? No. This is just a, a player that's gone onto the field and had to umpire in ICC-sanctioned um, T20 cricket. So, yeah, 100% um, madness to end the year. I think um, we got our fireworks well before the 31st of <laughs> December. We sort of had fireworks for two weeks, but, you know, Live and you learn. Um, we all got through it in the end. Um, I guess I wouldn't say better off for the experience, but wiser for the experience. No, no, it's mad. So, do you th- do you think that the that the ICC obviously various other checks need to take place? But do you think that these the people need to have proof of funds to show that they can pay the players on time when you know, and not just players but officials and whoever it may be, because these, as we've spoken plenty of times before in terms of players' careers and maximising opportunity to go and play in the franchise tournaments around. There's no point you travelling the world to not to not earn an income. It sort of defeats the point. So do you, do you think people need to start proving proof of funds, really, potentially? I don't think proof of funds was the issue because, I mean, the team owners, for the most part, from what um, I could ascertain, provided the funds well in advance of time. Um, for example, I know... Um, the owners of the team that Chris Gale was supposed to play for provided funds in advance. And then right. when when the tournament started, Chris Gale was nowhere to be found, not because the funds were provided, but the body that the funds were provided to by his team owner couldn't say where the funds have gone. Obviously, the funds weren't sent to Chris. And, I mean, right. if you're not paid, you're not going to come to the tournament. You know, um, same thing happened. We're halfway through um, the tournament. <laughs> Um, Ravi Bapara sort of left our team because I guess the sanctioning body hadn't provided him with whatever percentage of his monies that was supposed to be paid and were left outstanding. So, you know, I mean, these things, and as I said, these are just um, two instances, but a number of personnel, whether it be um, match officials, broadcast team, you know, the broadcast team packed up and left the tournament. Yeah. So the semifinals and the finals weren't, you know, um, streamed live um, things like that I've, I've never seen in all my years of 
not even like under 13, under 15 top cricket, much less yeah. ICC sanctioned events. Yeah. So, um, 100% that that tournament was extremely disappointing in the way that on a daily basis they seem to find new ways to top the lows of the day mm-hmm. before. And I, I remember speaking to you before, you were obviously really looking forward to going and things. How did you find the, on a positive thing, by the way, because I really enjoyed listening to your commentary, how did you find the commentary side of things? Well, apart from <laughs> not being paid, yeah. apart from not being paid for it, um, it was it was really good. I, I really do um, enjoy, I guess, giving my, my thoughts on, on cricket. Um, yeah. I think being a player, and obviously you find this becoming more of a norm now. Players across the world are getting into commentary. And I guess we provide a different perspective because the way players look at the game and the way the general populace look at the game are two different things in terms of what we're looking for and yeah. we're able to break down a game. So I quite enjoy talking about cricket. I think that, I mean, it, it provides a different type of insight to yeah. um, the general fan and no, it's it's been a really good experience thus far, and I'm looking to continue doing that in the future. No, definitely, I really enjoyed it because when the the bits I was listening to you talking about, um, like scores that they, that we targeted, and the, I think you mentioned about on the wickets being like quite a slow and low wicket, and like me having a little bit of knowledge of cricket and things. I was aware of, you know, taking, but you explain the way you explained it stuff. I thought it was really, really good. I think that you get that from a player. You don't necessarily get that from someone who, um, you know, is just a commentator by career. So you're sort of expressing your knowledge of the game and, and why a slow and low wicket and what you look to do sort of thing. So I thought it was really good. No, thanks, Jordan. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, David Warner, I think I want to talk about, about him, you know, in retiring, um, in, you know, the current test match that's taking place in Pakistan. Um, I want to ask you a question. Do you think he goes down as the the greatest three-format Australian player? 100%, 100%. I mean, every format that Australia plays, he's he's in the conversation in terms of being one of the most important players that they need to, the opposition, opposition teams need to get rid of um, every time Australia goes to bat. And you've seen throughout his career, I mean, there have been periods where they've tried him at number three, they've tried him at number four, number five. But um, one of the best across formats players, not just for Australia, but I guess probably that the world has ever seen. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that we've talked about it loads of times and even Otis last week was speaking about you're a good player, you're a good player, whether it be 2020 or 50 over and in and, and test cricket, he's sort of gone and done that. I think it's a massive testament to him and hopefully... One, he finds his baggy green. I think that's honestly so sad. Think about how important it is to these players and you think that something like that's happened. I really do hope he actually goes and and finds that. But I think he sort of set a bit of a benchmark in terms of showing that regardless of what happens franchise tournaments around the world, that you can go and take um, your skills and, and roll it out across all three formats. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I think that he said that he's now retired from 50 over cricket as, as well. Yeah. But obviously, he's still looking to participate in the T20 World Cup this year. But I yeah. think that's what franchise cricket does. It allows for a player to extend <laughs> their career and not only just extend their career, um, give them an opportunity to control their career in terms of where yeah. they want to play and when they want to play. Because if you have an idea that you're going to be in XYZ leagues, 
throughout the year, then you can sort of plan your year. And obviously, this allows players the ultimate luxury of having more time at yeah. home with the family and still being able to provide for the family yeah. through, I guess, the the riches of T20 franchise cricket, um, yeah. which is, um, in some people's eyes, less strenuous than international cricket. But I actually see it the other way around because international cricket puts you in the shop window, whereas if you're just playing T20 franchise leagues and you fall out of favour, how are you going to, you know, provide for your family so yeah um a lot more strenuous and people have to be a lot more dedicated and and professional in able to keep up with that sort of i guess lifestyle and the requirements maybe warner mentioned as well in part of his um interview prior to this test match that he believed that his test career might have gone in an alternative path based on the current volume of franchise cricket that's taking place what are your thoughts on that sort of statement well 100 percent, because he came into international cricket via the T20 road. So yeah. um, he was actually one of, if not the first T20, um, what do you want to call them, mercenaries or whatever, you, whatever yeah. term you feel, oh, yeah. that, that managed to carve out a proper um, yeah. test career. He's now got 26 test centuries, so um, yeah. nothing nothing to front upon at all. He's number five on the all-time run scoring list for Australian test match cricket which in itself is an achievement. You look at the players behind him, you've got Michael Clark and Matthew Hayden. So, I mean, yeah. ridiculous. kudos to him. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think in general, it's not just test cricket that's in trouble. People keep saying test cricket, test cricket, test cricket. But I think <clears throat> international cricket on a whole is going to be in trouble to, again, keep itself relevant when there's so much... T20 leagues popping up literally every single day. There's yeah. a different somewhere in the world. Um, for example, you've seen the West Indies. It doesn't even have to be a T20 league. Like You just have various leagues throughout the US that can afford to pay players what they make in two, three months being yeah. on a regional retainer contract in 10 days, 15 days. You know, So why would yeah. you then sort of put yourself through the hard toil of going and having to practice every single day, um, be away from your family, depending on what um, sub-region you get contracted to, yeah. when you can sort of just travel for 10 days and cover the spread for two, two and a half months. You know, it, yeah. it's just, it's sense, it's business sense, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it is. And you can't really deny any of that. We, you know, we, we had a brief conversation before about, you know, placing some potential players over here in the UK and that's what we're up against really and you you know you can't sit there and advise a client and say right okay well you can do six months in England on X or you can actually go and do two or three maybe four over a you know a six to eight a week period and, and earn that it's it's, it's a no-brainer and also the strain on your body as we spoke about many times before about looking after yourself and making sure well effectively you're going to make more money doing that play less cricket look after yourself rather than you know, spend six months potentially away from your family under conditions that might not even be suitable for you. Exactly. I mean, and then the only issue becomes then is just finding a way to keep yourself in rhythm because yeah. then obviously you have longer periods off. But the aim is to make as much money doing as little work as possible. I mean, yeah. you look at uh, Floyd Mayweather, it's getting as least punishment as possible as a boxer and maximizing profits. Yeah. Same principle applies to 
cricket because then that way you're able to lengthen your career. You can play for X amount of years longer. Like think of it, David Warner never played 112 test matches. That's 500 and what, 60 something days of his life that he gets back. And that's just playing days. That doesn't yeah. even include travel, practice, yeah. all these other things. First class games. So you're talking yeah. about at least three, four years worth of his life, worth of days that he could have had to have a fresher body, not have that wear and tear on his body, mental disintegration, not just from playing and the pressures of playing, yeah. but media, performance, all these other things that can translate into him lengthening his T20 career to 45 maybe. Guys are yeah. going to start playing T20 cricket to ridiculous ages because of the way fitness and nutrition and all these things that yeah, yeah. part in, in the way humans evolve. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And obviously, with that topic now, what is your current thoughts on the situation with South Africa naming the squad with seven uncapped players, one being the captain? You know, it just shows, doesn't it? Well, I saw something today where I'm not sure if it's the CEO of um, New Zealand, um, South African cricket, or someone in South African cricket, whoever it was, said that. They literally had no choice. Their hands were forced because if they don't play the SA20, that literally, yeah, okay, it's the coach. That funds funds the entire South African cricketing ecosystem. And, I mean, when you look at it that way, there's there's no other choice. I mean, the top-tier South African players are going to play Mm. SA20, right? So you find yourself in a situation like this where there's overlapping in schedules and you, you send off ultimately an A team to play yeah. test cricket, which is sad because ultimately test cricket is supposed to be the prized possession of of cricket. You know, it's supposed to be the ultimate test, yeah. the ultimate challenge of skill, wherewithal, um, knowledge of the game. And when you don't have the very best players representing any country, it doesn't matter which country it is, then obviously they loot the, the product, um, yeah. not just from a South African standpoint, but from a general standpoint where the conversation of test cricket dying just gets louder. Yeah. I think for, like, for me, that when I when I read it, I picked up two things. One, it's with the, the, the statement that the coach made about there having no choice is the communication aspect there. I think that within Cricket South Africa, there needs to be some form of communication to make. If, that's, if you have to play the T20 tournament, fine, makes commercial sense, but you need to, you've got to try and somehow fit it in where it works. For the for the for the South Africa national team as well, because I think that as much as you know, we, we I think again when we, we spoke about how you felt when you made your test debut, the call, you know, the nerves and stuff. I feel a little bit sorry for the seven lads who are going to be making the debuts because it probably it's probably taken the shine off that element of receiving that call or you know you know being in fantastic nick and thinking there's a sniff that you've got a chance where. You know, undoubtedly, these lads hopefully will have will have received their caps naturally. Um, you know, over the next period of you know a couple of years or whenever it would. But I just feel like it's it's tarnished it a little bit. I don't think when you're representing your country, it shouldn't be tarnished. But I do feel like this group of players, it probably could be. Yeah, and I think that's where the ICC are going to have to step in. And I don't know what can be done. Whether they create windows and say, "All right, guys, for the first six months of the year." It's literally going to be 
all the T20 leagues. You yeah. guys figure out when you're going to play what and just go crazy. With that, everyone does their thing. Get yeah. that out of the way. And then the second six months of the year, it's going to be international cricket and teams are going to be required to play two months of test cricket, two months of one-day cricket, yeah. two months of T- T20i um, cricket or something of that nature. Um, maybe it becomes a case where you sort of cancel T20Is unless there's a World Cup because you're playing all these T20 franchise leagues. And yeah. that opens up an extra month and you take it to seven, eight months worth of T20 franchise leagues and you know people just go crazy around the world being able to, I guess, satisfy the financial requirements of, of the respective boards around the world um, yeah. and, and keep them afloat because obviously we know that basically only three cricketing boards in the world make yeah. money in yeah. Australia, England and India and the rest of the world are literally just clutching at straws once it comes to international cricket. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's an option as well where they have maybe two-month window for test cricket. You have a four-month window for T20 cricket. You have the next two-month window for one-day cricket and then the next four-month window for um, T20 cricket again and, and sort of go that route and see if, if that works or whatever the case is, but something needs to be done um, where T20 franchise leagues, I guess, can keep their place and sustain the ecosystem of cricket, but international cricket doesn't die as well. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what I was just going to ask you then, is, is this leaning towards the end of Test cricket? No, I don't want to say the end because I don't think it will ever go because of it being the penultimate, as we spoke about, but... Is it gonna things like this gonna be massively affecting the future of the game or the future of the penultimate Test cricket? I suppose not just Test cricket, international cricket on a whole, because the next big move is going to be players being contracted by a T Twenty yeah. franchise, let's yeah. say a Mumbai Indians who has an IPL franchise, a franchise in South Africa, yeah. franchise in Major League, you know, and different places, franchise in um, South Africa, yeah. Um, franchise in T 20 all these various places yeah. and then you know they can say to a player look we're going to pay you five Salary. million five for million a year um you're going to play in four tournaments for us at xyz dates um and outside of that we just need you to keep fit or actually we're going to bring you to mumbai you're going to live here for the rest of the year um and we're going to have you in a fitness program and make sure that you are up and ready and ready to perform yeah. when we send you to these various leagues and give you, I guess, a holiday period just like a Manchester United would have like a three-week period at the end of the season where guys can go off and have their holidays and then report back to Manchester and go through the various um, competitions throughout the rest mm-hmm. of the year. I think that's where um, cricket is heading. Um, but that's an interesting thing as well because when you look at it, it's sort of the same players that predominantly play in most of the leagues around the world. So then that sorts of cuts off a lot of, of players opportunities to actually earn a living that way. There are very few, it's like maybe listed the top 3% of players that play around the world when you really look at it. So a player will be limited than just to playing in his, I guess, local T20 competition and clutching at straws for, opportunities in other leagues unless there's a clash with various leagues like what you have at the start of the year like yeah, yeah. You know, like a big bash of BPL 
um, PSL, ILT20, and so players get opportunities that way. But once there's no clash in the calendar, um, it becomes a very tough situation for professional players to actually get a game. Yeah. And Steve Waugh mentioned about making the wages basically for all test cricket, so whether it's outside of the, so the top three plus all the other competing nations, do you think something needs to be looked at from a salary perspective for test cricket? I don't even know if that could help. I mean, that, I guess, maybe a starting point, but you put it a starting wage of, let's say, 15000 for a test match, like a base standard across the world, 15000 per match. Um and then you look at a T20 league, like a guy can go for, let's say a guy that's not a major superstar goes for 60 to 100,000. Yeah. Why am I playing test cricket? <laughs> what are we doing here? I'm playing a three-match test series, which goes for basically a month. I'm playing a T20 league, which goes for a month. So I'm getting 45,000 as opposed to 60 to 100,000. What, yeah. what are we talking about? Yeah. Do you think the South African players had a choice? If they had a choice, they made the right choice in playing the T20 league. I'd say yeah. that much um, because at the end of the day, for as South Africa, as, as the court said, um, this league sustains South African yeah. cricket. So if it's something that sustains South African cricket, then you have to have your best product available. Therefore, your yeah. best players can't go on a test tour when you have the product that sustains your entire entity um, on on display at, at that point in time. Yeah, I just I, th- I think you know just to summarise on this, I just feel that it's getting the balance between looking after the players' futures financially, making sure that that Test cricket is looked after, and we can you know that the top teams can still can be competing and and things like that. But I just hope I do I just hope it works out in a way where we get to see you know all three forms, in my opinion maintain that level where we're not constantly trying to balance and and look after bits and pieces around. I understand that that's going to take place because of the volume of franchise cricket around the world. But by looking after it in the right way, like you said before, whether you section it, hopefully the ICC or, or people, the powers that be, sort of have a think about it in a way of looking after the sport that we love, really. And when you look at, I guess, not only just test cricket, but longer format cricket, so even for the cricket, even those guys that were specialists in, I guess, in that format now are trying to improve their scoring rate or bowlers bringing something different to their yeah. skill set because ultimately um, what pays the bills and what, what looks after, I guess, your family long after you've retired is funds in the bank. And so guys can't rely on being a test cricketer that's playing, let's say, three two-match test series per year yeah. So you're playing a series in January, you're playing a next series in July and the next series in December. Like it's so sparse, the opportunities yeah. um, that players do get frustrated and players want, I guess, more for themselves in terms of not only playing time, but just general opportunity um, for for life in and after cricket as well. So it, it's a very difficult situation. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you a question regarding uh, Usman Khawaja. He sort of... Um... You know, he's, he's, he's speaking out on the situation between Israel and Palestine, and I want to ask you a question: whether players should, should players be able to sort of express their opinion 
<coughs> on politics? I think people, not just players, people should be able to express their views in a respectful way um, on anything, as long as it's not um, disrespectful to anyone. I mean, society is very sensitive these days, um, but I don't think that he should sort of be cocooned in terms of what he can and can't do if yeah. it's not something that's, you know, um, disrespecting or threatening somebody else. I mean, you look at the NBA, for example, which I think is probably the most progressive sports league out there, and they have so many causes that um, are player-driven, player-led, and they allow players to, I guess, have that discussion with, with yeah. the governing body and how, how they take the game and their views forward and they have, you know, social justice awards, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, once once you empower players to do things like this, then, I mean, it, it would help society on a whole because, I mean, you look at the whole Black Lives Matter situation that we had in cricket um, a few years ago. I think, personally, for me, it was it was frustrating because I don't think it, it served any purpose in the fact that, okay, we, we took a knee and then what? The purpose for me yeah. wasn't to take a knee. It was supposed to be finding <laughs> ways to educate people on, I guess, the plight that that black yeah. players and black society faced. Um, and so I don't think that it, it sort of achieved or served the purpose that it should have. And again, Kawaja... I guess feels voiceless in something that he thinks is of of importance in something that he feels that he should or wants to have a voice on and is being muzzled at the moment. So um, yeah. I think that they need to, I guess, figure out ways of I guess better communicating what what players want to voice their concerns mm -hmm. about, trying to find voices in which um, you can make make such opportunities available to people. Yeah. So just to finish, I wanted to ask you about obviously the current test matches that are taking place at the minute. And well, one it was an you know impressive performance in the first test match in uh, sorry South Africa beating India. Well, then the second test match is probably the shortest in overs the test match has been. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's been recorded as the quickest test match to be completed in the history of test cricket, and. Um, <laughs> The pitch definitely had had some part to play in that. Um, mm. It'd be interesting to see what the ICC rates that pitch on, because obviously, when you get situations where matches finish quickly on turning pitches, obviously, um, yeah. the rating isn't great. So, on, on overly seam friendly conditions like this, but I think personally, Aidan Malcolm should have been man of the match. Superb to be able to score a century in a match where, yep. There's not been both teams have struggled to score 200 runs, and he yeah. scored 100 and something out of 170 runs. Like so impressive. That, that that was the performance of the match, in my opinion. Obviously, I mean, for him being on the losing side, he'd he'd not be too happy about that. But I mean, in terms of a singular performance in in a match in a situation yeah. like this, that was absolutely outstanding. Um, but drawn series, which is interesting because as you know, every every match has to be played for 
and every point is extremely important. Know that there's a World Test Championship yeah. at stake. So um, India, obviously, having again an aging Virat and Rohit, and not not knowing what I guess eighteen months from now could possibly look like for them. Yeah. And, and playing for a World Test Championship, those would be vital points for them going forward. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a you know fantastic performance from South Africa in the first Test. I thought the way that Aidan Markham has developed into a cricketer the last sort of eighteen months has been fantastic. Again, across all three forms as well. I thought it's really really impressive. <laughs> and how do you how have you seen the Test series between Australia and Pakistan as well? Well, this match. Um, Hard at the moment, obviously, Australia batting at the moment, hundred and not many for two. Two down, yeah. Pakistan need to make some some early inroads here. Yeah, you've got two guys at the crease that are known for batting, batting long big. and batting big in in Smith and and Manus. Obviously, both of them haven't scored runs um, to their liking of recent vintage as well. So they'll yeah. be to put that right with Sydney being if not all of probably the majority of that batting unit's favourite ground because it's yeah. um, so batter friendly like it gets really flat really quickly yeah um, so Pakistan will need some some early wickets especially the fact that the, the danger man for the series for Pakistan has been Mitch Marsh yeah who who's two wickets away and Travis Head has had <clears throat> probably the best 18 month period of any player in the world across formats as well so yeah, that's yeah. another important wicket for them to get um, Australia will just be looking to bat and bat and bat as yeah. long as possible and, and try and force it to a situation where they can try and force a result without having to bat again having said that David Warner will definitely love the opportunity to come out in a run chase however big or small yeah, and yeah, just definitely. have one final go in front of the Australian and most of the Sydney <clears throat> Um, crowd, which is his home ground. So it's yeah, an definitely. interesting game. Um, again, lots to play for Australia, 2 0 up, um, trying to secure extra points. Pakistan trying to get a victory and get some points away from home, which would be invaluable in the World Test Championship. Yeah, I think that, um, I think what you said there about Steve Smith and Marlis, I think they'll both come out, well, tonight, tomorrow, and look to bus back time. I think. Marlis is supposedly low on form, but he's still averaging 35 in Test cricket, which is frightening over this, you know, the period when he supposedly dropped out on form. So he'll just look to come out and, and bat time, which I think will be a big thing for him. And then, like I said, it'd be quite nice if if David Warner could, you know, maybe finish a nice 50, 50 odd not out and see them, see them home, which will be a fantastic way to end his career. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um putting out a plea to whoever's got that baggy green. Um, it may mean a lot to them, but I'm pretty sure it means a lot more to, to David Warner, something that he's worked his entire career for. And not only just worked for, but just played and wore with so much pride and, yeah. you know, through the ups yeah. and downs. And it's just, <clears throat> it's not just a cap, it's a symbolism of all the hard work that a player puts in. So you have to get that back to him today, tomorrow, the last day, whenever it is, you know, so that he can make that final walk off the ground in his baggy green, that'd be amazing. Yeah, definitely. I think that when it comes to things like this, <clears throat> you know, if you, you know, it's, it wouldn't mean anything to me, his hat, you know, you're not going to, it's just, it's a shame really that it's happened and like I said, I hope he doesn't tarnish 
the last, you know, test match for his because he does deserve, like I said, to 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 wear his baggy green as he comes off the pitch and stuff. So I always remember Ricky Ponting lost his for a period of time. And then ever since then, you know, he never put he never left it in his suitcase. He always put it in his hand luggage. Since then it's a you know, but if he was ever if he was ever gonna go and play test cricket again, I don't think he'd ever leave it in the air, in the arms of Qantas or whoever it may be on this situation. But well, thank you again for tonight's podcast and I'd like to apologise to you all for me coughing profusely throughout the whole episode. I did warn you that I had a on the back end of a flu and and stuff and I'm trying to hold my coffin and every time I look my face is the same colour as my jumper um, so yeah thank you so much um, for tuning in um, and thank you for your continued support and we wish you all the best of 2024 so thank you very much it was soon Jordan thank Cheers, you for joining <laughs> us on the Power Play podcast hosted by Kyron Powell and Jordan Shannon we hope you enjoyed this immersive dive into the world of cricket and business exploring the unique experiences and perspectives of players past and present, alongside those invaluable insights into intriguing business themes that transcend beyond the boundaries of sporting heroics. Be sure to set your reminders on your Alexa or Google Home device. Or we won't tell anyone if you still use those paper calendar things from a bygone era. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue with scintillating minds on the Power Play podcast.